who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today, from divorce to call-out culture to masculinity to girls' confidence. Season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Greetings, adventurers. Last month's episode got cut off a little bit early due to work-life obligations, which I also very much enjoy. So I'll ask you to give us a bit of leeway on this episode as we bring you part two of our April Fool's special, where we'll be running through a wild sheep chase by Winghorn Press. So basically imagine that there was no break, that it's still April, that we're still allowed to make weird jokes about the Crystal Cove mattresses by Brentwood Home with no sponsorship attached because it's simply fun and silly, and that next month we'll be back to our sinister ways to bring the main plot back. A few notes. First, for those of you who don't mind seeing a few spoilers, I've been streaming myself editing episodes on Twitch. You can actually get a peek behind the scenes, and it's pretty spoiler heavy for the episode that I'm working on at the time, but by joining us at twitch.tv slash foolandscholar, you can see what we're working on and how it's made. It also helps keep me focused. Next, I'm very excited to announce that Caitlin and I will be co-GMing a really unique adventure in September for, well, maybe you and some friends as part of D&D in a Castle. Join us and David Alt, I mean, er, Ias Innskeep, as part of their September lineup where we'll be playing D&D over a weekend of adventure and running the group through a unique and top secret campaign we're working on. Lastly, we wanted to give a shout out to one of our favorite shows out there, Kill Every Monster, but let's let them introduce themselves. Do you like Dungeons and Dragons? Do you like monsters? Do you like Dungeons and Dragons and monsters? Then we've got a show for you. Kill Every Monster is a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons podcast. In each episode, we are joined by a guest to discuss the lore, mechanics, and story potential of classic D&D creatures. We debate tactics and we talk about how to maximize these monsters both in combat and in your stories. And then we ask the very important question, is this even really a monster? To learn more about the show, head on over to killeveryMonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill Every, Every Monster. monster. Shalis de Pace, Salis. Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Do you seek him?
Do you seek him? Do you seek the nameless god? You have found yourself among those who roll the dark dice. What you are about to hear happened long ago. A story brought back from the edge of oblivion, dutifully transcribed, and enhanced orally to better captivate your attention. Previously, a team of adventurers came across a mysterious wizard sheep in need. Now, between two egotistical wizards, they find themselves quite in danger. Dark Dice, The Long Road, Chapter 8B, Wizard Battle. Okay, I'm ready. Stand back. Noak raised his arms into the air dramatically, throwing back a cloak none of the team were even previously aware of. It initially just sort of looked like a blanket tripped over his shoulders, like he'd gotten out of bed and forgotten to take it off, but it was now revealed as a magnificent cape. The wizard almost looked as impressive as he was exhausted. All right, time to cast the damn spell. So your salt, a whole With three magical words, a beam of colored light left the wand, leaping dramatically through the air toward the expectant sheep. But something went wrong. The DM rolled terribly once again. The color of the light shifted to a sickly blue as the sheep began to transform, twist, pop, its limbs growing longer into something much larger than an elf and terribly disproportionate. Its limbs extended, ending in hooks and teeth-like protrusions, its flesh overtaking the wool as a series of its pumping organs pushed outside of its body, affixed to which were twisted, wrangling limbs. The sheep's facial features stretched and broke, crying out in an incoherent scream of voices as combat began. This is the best day. Oh, even I didn't expect that. Gods. Ildrix, horrified but overcoming his sanity saving throw, and shrieking voices of Thinithir's broken form, stepped back towards Noak, trying to close the 40-foot gap he'd created. As Glom, who also overcame one save, taking five stress damage, flew into a panicked rage and yelled at his sister before knocking an arrow. Gail, this sheep is not safe. Other sheep might be fine, but not this sheep. We're going to have to do something. It's we... going to be kebabs tonight, Gail. I have a shot. Take it. His sister's words pulling him back to reality. Glom's arrow grazed past Noak's arm before damage, <gasps> catching the wizard's attention. This was the epitome of the evils he had sworn in his life to fight. And Glom dramatically surged forward with action, screaming and taking another shot at the wizard's evil face. Aware of Glom's second attack, Noak was able to react and cast a counterspell on the arrow, which turned into a frog mid-flight, slapping Noak in the face harmlessly and falling to the ground before hopping away. Guards, protect me! Soren, strangely intrigued yet frightened by the new form Thenethir had taken, was unable to approach its mangled assortment of limbs and pumping external organs. Just to clarify, are we all fighting against the sheep, or, or is it- Glom yelled, the sheep, the sheep, and then surged towards the wizard dramatically. It's kind of a confusing message even for me. I am maybe going to make an unwise decision to ignore all of the wolves at my calves, and uh, I'm going to shoot at the sheep, whatever it is now. 17. Confused by Glom's mixed signals, Soren fired two arrows at the abomination, one piercing a spurting organ, sending a spray of arterial fluid high into the air, the other missing the creature entirely as the ground around Finithir began to transform, seemingly corrupted by the spell and becoming flesh-like. 
I uh, yell at Noak. I thought you were good at your job! Any chance at negotiation with Noak ended the moment Glom shot him with a frog. Focus on the goo sheep monster! Ildrix threw a volley of darts at Finifier's new form, and in reaction it vomited up a chunky clump of sticky goo, which Ildrix dodged. But the three wolves behind him were too slow to see it coming, howling in blind confusion. Having reached the door of the first platform, Noak turned and cast another spell, this time focused directly at Glom, who overcame his constitution saving throw, and would not be reduced in size, as comical as it might make the situation. Noak slammed the door behind himself and was briefly seen running to the middle platform before vanishing behind its door. Gazakoltes the orc, unsure of what to do, focused his efforts on the monster, slicing both of his swords through flesh and bone. The wolves ran aimlessly, attacking the closest target in confusion, which was soaring, but missing him with all of their attacks, as a pack of wolves tended to do when suddenly blinded. The cloaked bear, known as Little Thurbling the Sly, somehow failed to sneak up on Glom, who ducked the incoming swipes with Get the Bear! Gale! Forget the sheep! Two bears! Bears are bad! Behind you! Gale! Oh, 14. The charming outhouse bear attacked Gale, catching her with both paw strikes, knocking her to the ground with critical success and dealing 23 damage. The apes picked up their blades and converged upon a team. The graying ape struck low at Ildrix, who jumped over the attack. The balding ape caught Soren by surprise, hitting him with a flat of the blade for 7 damage in the back of the head, as the final, very handsome ape slashed wildly but ineffectively at a confused Glom. Having just been reduced significantly in health, Gale crawled through the bear's legs toward the back of the group, but she was unable to avoid its massive swiping paws which raked her back for 11 slashing damage. Bloodied, Gale used her last breath to look up into the trees for any sign of the wizard, but was unable to see him as her eyes closed, and she fell unconscious, inching closer towards death. So, Glom is screaming. He drops his bow, and he charges in with his sword, forgetting everything. He is gonna get this bear. 26 to hit. That's a crit. 95 on the percentile dice. Using an older version of our critical hit chart, Glom dealt double damage, hitting the bear with a shockwave of power, shoving the bear back 30 feet into a tree, where it crumbled into a heap. The bear made a brief but shaky attempt to gain its footing before falling prone. This is another one of my, uh, my classic Soren capers. Can I light one of my arrows and fire it into the treehouse to drive the wizard out? Or is that completely ridiculous? Odds were not in Soren's favor, but he could certainly try. Okay, let's do it. It's a 17 to hit. Soren pulled out his magical lantern, whispered its candle to life, and used it to light one of his special arrows before shooting into a window of the largest building. Soren rolled a percentage die. 87? Uh, it seems like it'll perhaps hit something alchemical or flammable. The gratifying sound of glass shattering and a subsequent foosh gave Soren the impression that it hit something important. Flickering firelight indicated a quickly lit rug and curtains that framed the window, accompanied by the harsh sounds of frustration. Rot in hell, curtain. Soren aimed his second shot at Finifir, hitting yet another of its external organs as Ildrix channeled his key to pummel the balding ape. Ildrix unleashed a flurry of blows, quickly and precisely striking its midsection twice before breaking its jaw with an uppercut, the satisfying crunch snuffing out the last flicker of life as the ape fell. Gazakolta swung with raw strength, breaking off Finifir's limbs as the monster attempted to rebuke him in kind, coming short against Guz's death speed. The wolves, still endlessly biting and clawing at the air, did little to harm any present. The one accidentally tackled Finifir, scaring itself as the sounds of shattering glass and growing fire above, accompanied by louder curses, drew more of the team's attention. The flames visibly reached the exterior of the central platform and began to engulf the other nearby trees. The charming bear did its best to stand, while little Thurbling swiped at Ildrix, who now stood between him and Glom. 
The graying ape took advantage of the bear's distraction to move past Ildris, striking Glom on the back of the shoulder and biting his hand for 12 damage. The very handsome ape rolled critically well, throwing its sword past Soren as a distraction before simply tackling him, viciously pulling clumps of flesh and beard away from his face and chest, dealing 11 damage. It was at this moment that Gale was required to make her first death scene of the 17. Using her abilities and pact with the sunken god, Gale was now able to act through Glom, temporarily using, or perhaps abusing, her personal connection with him. As her conduit, Gale could now see through his eyes and cast magic through him without Glom's notice. And there's a graying ape currently eating his hand, correct? Currently eating one of my fingers. Well, if Glom's hand is already in his mouth, that should be fairly easy to hit with an Eldritch Blast. Between bites, a sudden flash of light grew around Glom's bloody hand, disintegrating all of the hair around the ape's head in a flash of heat and light before the rest of its face began to melt. Glom, confused, watched in horror as the deceased ape fell to the floor. Uh, well, I just, uh, well, I guess I'm poisonous to apes now. Oh yeah? You want more of that? How this? Glom pulled his sword and slashed the last ape in the back, pulling its attention from Soren as it shrieked in pain violently, now swiping faster at Soren, who rolled an attack with his daggers. While I'm just having a whole bunch of bloodlusty fun with my daggers, 19 to hit 7 damage. As Soren locked eyes on the creature before him, even though he had never seen an ape before, that its eyes seemed somehow wrong. A brief flicker of gold glinted back at him before glazing over completely as the creature was felled. And with his extra action, Soren struck out at the bear assaulting Ildris. The daggers sank deep into the bear's arms, opening wounds that would surely be fatal within the hour. With all eyes on Soren and the bear, and with the increasing rumble of the treetops above, what was Ildris doing? I'm going to jump off the bear's head and climb up to the platforms to see what's happening up there with the 16. Ildrix's jump was successful and he was already halfway up the tree before he realized that the bear grazed him for six slashing damage. Far beneath him, Guz and the Sheep Abomination exchanged blows as the rumbling above intensified. Coming from the bedroom, just before Ildrix reached it, the platform in the tree exploded outward. Ah! You fools messed for the wrong wizard! Power and fear before the power of Master Amenov! As the dust cleared from the former bedroom, a mighty creature emerged from the rubble, rising higher with each beat of its powerful wings. Its face and body slowly came into view, and through the cloud of dirt and smoke, its fearsome form was visible. The form of a dragon, carved from wood, with billowing sheets for wings, and a powerful tail ending in a soft pillow. Seated from the beast's Crystal Cove mattress, which now served as a harness. Really? <laughs> yes. Seated atop the beast's comfortable mattress-turned-harness was the form of Master Ahmed Noak. His expression, a mixture of surprise, self-confidence, and murderous rage as he surveyed the scene below. Dracarys! The dragon looked down upon the team with sinister curiosity before opening its mouth to let loose its mighty breath. Those in its path needed to make a dexterity saving throw to avoid the blizzard of splinters, feathers, and wood shavings. 18. Mom doesn't move. He just stands over Gale's body, screaming up at the pillow dragon. Soren took 12 damage and Glom took the full 24 damage, but successfully defended his sister as a wall of splinters crushed in from above, finishing off what was left of the sheep, greatly injuring Guz, dropping Glom to 1 HP. That's where I didn't know how many hit points we had. And scaring off the wolves and charming bear, who scattered in all directions. Little Thurbling, realizing this was not the place to be, looked from the mighty bed dragon with the Crystal Cove mattress saddle to the deceased abomination to Guz, and patted Glom on the head before fleeing. I'll just let you go. Yeah. <clears throat> just... Gale now required a second death saving throw. 13. Pulling her life force further and further from death. 
Um, Glom unknowingly is going to point a finger towards the bedroom dragon. What am I doing? Um, the dual-sided hybrid Crystal Cove bed dragon by Brentwood Home is momentarily engulfed by hellish flames and needs to make a dexterity throw as Gale uses hellish repeat. Lacking the extremely toxic flame retardants found in many microplastics, the dragon itself did not have advantage on the roll, and surrounded by wood, sheets, and pillows, it took double damage when it failed. Thankfully, the environment was undamaged. <laughs> okay, um, 28 damage total. And as that was technically a reaction, Gale will fire an Eldritch Blast while Glom's distracted by the dragon being on fire. That's 17 to hit, 9 damage. Taking some of the literal wind out of its sheet-based wings, the powerful yet very clearly damaged bed dragon began to sink closer to the ground. Glom, confused why he was suddenly pointing at the creature, was next to act as the beast began to swoop down toward him. Look, it's on fire! Glom uh, dropped his bow earlier to draw his sword, so he catches it... So he moves his foot under it and flips it up and over, catching the bow with his other hand and knocking an arrow in one motion, drawing a bead on the wizard's eyes and releases. Die, wizard! The arrow caught a surprised Noak in the shoulder as a second and third arrow, green and flame from Soren's lantern, struck the dragon itself in the bedding, intensifying the flames that now surrounded it, reducing its wings to ash. From above, Ildrix rolled an 18 for acrobatics, landing softly on the central mattress, its pocketed coils dampening his fall, and its structurally reinforced perimeter solid, preventing Ildrix from simply rolling off its edge. Oh, wow. Guys, the Crystal Cove mattress by Brentwood Home is really soft. I wouldn't have believed you, but finally getting to try it out, it's actually really nice. Its isolated zone support prevented Ildrix from simply tossing Noak off with his landing. So Ildrix took a swig of alcohol from his flask, filling his mouth. It's mine! Get off! And Noak aimed his wand at Ildrix, who responded with a smile, opened his mouth, and showed the wizard what a real breath attack looked like, engulfing both the wizard and the bed in alcohol and flame. Unable to effectively dodge, Noak used his reaction to protect the mattress, and took the full blunt of the configuration before attempting to drop and roll, falling from 40 feet in the air with a terminal crunch. The chicken soup really fueled this one. <laughs> Ildrix now realized that the bed dragon itself was dead in the air, and now in the process of falling freely. He quickly pulled up the double-sided Crystal Cove mattress by its high-quality upholstery handles, looked for a clearing below, and jumped, finding a safe landing without taking any harm himself. Nice. 10 out of 10. But I totally ruined the mattress by lighting it on fire and jumping 40 feet with it. The dragon itself fell short of Glom and Gale, sliding through the dirt closer and closer but stopping a mere breath away. Holy shit. I was trying to think of a pun, but you beat me to it, good Zorn. Guz, confused, eyes wide and possibly in shock, looked from corpse to corpse before opening his mouth to speak. It is said that the gods sometimes show signs. And if this isn't one, I don't know what is. I will seek out the one who holds my heart. Guzakult has affixed his blades to his shoulders, turned, and began to run. Goodbye, Ildrex. And friends... Glom, who had not stopped in his attempt to revive Gale, had succeeded in stabilizing her. Gale slowly opened her eyes. Brother. Oh, they... they're, they're gone. Yes. I believe so. You look hurt. No, oh, it's just a major flesh wound. I'll, I'll be fine. <coughs> then don't stay with me. Take care of yourself. And... Why is the ground covered in splinters? I don't know, um, don't let me point at anything or anyone ever again, okay, Gail? Well, I'll be right back. I have to finish something. 
and Glom gets up and walks over to the wizard's body to decapitate the head. Glom severed the head of Noak from his body, noticing a curious necklace and wand now free of a master. Yeah, Glom doesn't care. He just turns and walks back to Gale. Head in hand, Glom returned and collapsed in a seated position next to his beloved, yet barely breathing sister. The corpses of two evil wizards behind him. I had uh, better cure wounds on myself, I guess. I feel like I'm half-jumped by Mr. Death here, which is better than most, I suppose. I'm bragging now. Come on, power of nature, yes. Oh, close those wounds. Soren's wounds began to heal as he placed his hands over them, recovering ten hit points. Ah, that's better. You guys, uh... Well, you guys just sit tight. Uh, I'll look over the wizard's body, see if there's anything of, I don't know, religious or arcane interest. Hmm. Opponent pouch. Destroyed cape thing. Does anybody need a wand? <clears throat> no. Okay. <coughs> Would it be too much of a bother to bring it over here and let me look at it? Great. I, uh, I pick it up and hand it to Gail. <coughs> it... It... It seems more likely to create more of those monsters or hurt the person using it than actually transfigure anything properly. And Gail will discreetly store it about her person. Glom glares at Gail the whole time. Gail shrugs. Well, this may come in handy later. You saw what it did to the sheep. Oh, who's that? Gail moves the one somewhere else on her person while everyone's distracted. Indeed, a small humanoid with sideburns, perhaps a gnome if such creatures truly existed, rare as they were, or a stoutskin, exited the door from the barracks and casually surveyed the scene. After a hiccup, he produced a small flask, took a swig and casually approached the team, who did not perceive the inebriated halfling as a threat. Naya, all dead. Even the nice bed. Well, that goes to property value and my job. Did you, did you know the wizard, friend? Which one you're referring to? There are clearly more than one in this situation. Finithir and Noak. Yeah, yeah. I knew both wizards, yes. Mm. And which one was the good one? What? Well, they both like a little bit flawed, true to be told. I'd say Noak, he just wanted to be more like, like his master and hmm, Shinebright. <laughs> Last Trimbert didn't understand how short human lives can be. Hmm. Wanted him to have a hundred year apprenticeship, I think. You know, things like that. As as they do. You probably have flaws too, but that doesn't make you not good. And your name? Fagweef of the... Well, just Fagweef. <coughs> and what about you, Sir Scaleskin? Only Gale noticed the sign of the All Shadow, the goddess of the Darklands, hidden amidst the inlays of leatherwork around Fargweath's flask. Fargweath, uh, Ildrix. Uh, sorry for the mess. Hopefully this isn't your only home. Bah. Home is where the kitchen is for a chef like me. And pff, that seems to be gone too. Something really did a number here. Yes, the two wizards. They really had it out for one another, it seems. Look at all the damage they caused. Yeah, well, a uh, wizard battle rarely ends well. Maybe I'll find some work in Finnelhaven or the Darklands. Good. I rather enjoyed having goblin folk around, even if there were bears and monkeys. 
They didn't pay particularly well, but things I learned here will make me a little bit more valuable in one day. <coughs> Assuming if you're not bandits. I assure you that we are not bandits. At least today. I think it's a joke, but I don't want to laugh, and just in case it isn't. Do you have any chicken soup that we might be able to borrow from you? To Please, you do not borrow food. You keep it. Hmm. For five and a half coppers, I can make us some transmuted chicken soup. I still have some in the lab I just came from. Do I want to know what you transmuted? Fargweath leaned closer to Ildrix conspiratorially. Ah, uh, you see, the noodles used to be normal noodles, but now they are letters. Oh, interesting. Sounds delicious. Yes, chicken soup with letters. You're ahead of your time, good sir. Ahead of your time. Yes, thank you. And I just can offer you some for five and a half copper. Gail quietly uses magic to split a copper piece in half and tosses him five and a half copper. Here. Oh, do you think there are any healing potions around? I'm sure my brother and I could really use them right now. Thank you. Well, all the healing potions were in the alchemical laboratory within the central trees up there. It is currently on fire, so I believe that it's suitable to say they are probably did not survive. This is shit luck for you. However, you can stay in the secondary alchemical lab while I prepare the food for you if you'd like. It is probably a fair bit safer than sitting under a flaming tree. It would be unfortunate to survive a double wizard battle only be crushed by a flaming branch, I think. I'll be right here and Glom just collapses down the ground. Oh dear. <laughs> I'd offer to help, but he's a bit large, even if my goose were here to help. I, I move to pick Glom up. I, I'm just... I'm just gonna sleep here, Eldridge. I, I, I feel like maybe it would be nicer inside. I mean, I know a bed dragon just came out of there, but... Yeah, I'm not going in the wizard's house. <sighs> I pick him up anyways. We're going to a different building. Get on your feet, brother. Come on. Glom just continues to mutter as he's carried inside. Did you say goose? Yes, Kokomo. And Kokomo is just a goose? It's not like a giant that's been turned into a goose. Or... No, I never thought to ask her. He's joking, right? It's okay. Go, go to sleep. Go yeah. to sleep. Shh, shh. My mom used to sing me a song. Oh, once I was a dragon who burned up my friends, but I didn't want to do that anymore. As they entered the barracks, the team discovered it was actually a sort of alchemical lab, larger on the inside than could be perceived from its exterior because it was built into the ground. The space served a mixture of functions, with a kitchen that clearly saw regular use, a few small beds, a large central dining table, and a very nice rug that tied the room together. When they took the stairs down to the lower floor, they found places for studying and two additional tables adorned with various magical components. Six large bookshelves housed curious magical objects but primarily pickled or sealed jars of strange fetuses, toes, small animals, feathers, wool, dirty socks, various fruits, and vegetables, a strange assortment to be sure. In one corner, marked with countless furious scribbles, was a spinning wheel, a small pile of hay, and a few small flecks of silver on the floor. A small living goose sat atop- I lay Glom down in the hay. Glom scared off the goose, and moments later Fargweeth returned with three bowls of soup. Yeah, well, here you are. Drink up, and please don't spell anything obscene with the noodles. Passing his passive perception, Soren noted that the letters in the soup seemed to form a hidden message. 
Hmm, checking my PMs, just a moment. Uh, C-R-Y-S-T... It's the mattress, isn't it? Starting with the five and a half copper we just gave you, you've got uh, quite a collection going on. You've got a goose, some hay. I mean, this this is a life to be proud of, Farquith. Yes, I was hoping Kokomo might be perhaps a golden egg laying goose, but with both wizards gone, I suspect she will continue to lay spotted blue eggs. Well, those sound pretty. I thought goose eggs were grey. Normally they are, but Kokomo is just a little bit special like that. It's a side effect from her magical experiments, which I might add were entirely to her consent. She's a bit of entrepreneur, this one, and many of my fine steers come from her. I mean, I know we have people to save, but I'm seeing a business opportunity here. It's a simple life in the forest, selling eggs. I like it. We did as well, but we must relocate soon. So tell me, Ildrix, are you from the Gensler Expanse, the Veltlands? Uh, as a matter of fact, yes, yes I am. Hmm, interesting. What's it like to live down there among the giants and orcs as one people? There are even bears as well, but in general it's, um, it's pretty nice, I'd say. Uh, settlements are typically led by the rules of a specific culture, though giants, orcs, scaleskins, goblins, ironclads, and even sometimes humans are free to live among any settlement they wish. Orcish martial plays come through every few months. It's like a mixture of history-themed martial arts show mixed with a play or musical, and it's not uncommon to find yourself physically too large or too small wherever you travel, which is a reminder of how every individual is unique within Jenslath. If you ever get the time, you should visit the capital within the Underkingdom. Perhaps. And you, you're... are you from the Darklands? I... Suppose I am now. Just a wanderer, really, but stumbled into some bad luck of late as I touch my grayish cheek. Well, I hope your luck improves. Fargweath placed the final bowl next to Glom, who is snoring quietly. I recognize your emblem. Are you Sir Casper Fogelberg? Well, um, we have Vogelberg. Um, my brother and I ignore him, please. He's tired, he's wounded, but yes, we are the children of Rosamund and Casper, travelling with these people. We were questing, are questing, hunting down a pair of murderers who have travelled north. For now, I believe we just need to heal first with the soup and a proper night's rest. Okay. Fargweath's mouth remained slightly ajar as he nervously glanced from the Vogelbergs to Soren and Ildrix before locking eyes with Kokomo. Do you, uh, know any information about what's north of here, where we're headed? Ooh, well, there's Saltstadt in the north-eastish, Auden north-westish. Fargweath saw the team perk up at the mention of Auden. You'll want to cut west, then. I'm told that there are currently problems with banditry, unfriendly white elves, and roaming giants, but you seem like you'll probably be able to handle yourselves quite well. Once you reach Auden, Brandstrahl is the main person in charge. I believe he's human. I also believe Auden was originally a dwarf from Surface City. It has very nice walls to protect it and divided up into districts, and there are the churches there I'm familiar with, and lots of farmers I visit occasionally to pick up spices and alcohols. The churches have very good alcohols, oddly enough, and common. Mm, savory. Well, but I'm afraid I can't be much more help than that, as my interactions are been fairly limited. Well, if you need anything else, I'll be trying to put out the remaining fires. 
certainly uh, don't want to keep you. No, no. Do let us know if you need assistance. We'll just try and gather ourselves here. It should be fine. Really, though, Kokomo and I should probably get to work on it. The short chef swiftly departed, bedpan in hand. So, uh, with an 18 into insight, I'll ask Gale. He, uh, he seemed to be uncomfortable with your name. Do you know why? Perhaps our reputation precedes us. It could be my time with, well, well, I guess one might simply call them pirates? My brother doesn't tend to, well, he doesn't tend to make friends easily, and he's not one for holding his tongue. He also doesn't cope well with magic, so I do apologise. But speaking of Glom, he really needs to eat. Glom? Glom, could you please wake up and try having a bit of soup? It's got letters in it, and I've spelled your name with the first bite. No, 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 that's all about purple dragons. Okay, then no chicken for you. The team spent the rest of the night relaxing. Ildrix made an attempt to bring the Crystal Cove mattress into the sleeping area, but failed to find it, as someone, or perhaps something, had already claimed it as a prize. The team had gone quite far out of their way to seek side quests, tarrying, dallying, and goofing off, oblivious to the consequences of their decisions. Dark Dice, Chapter 208B, Wizard Battle, featuring Jeff Goldblum as the Silent One, Peter Lewis as Soren Arkwright, Holly Billinghurst and Sean Howard as Galen Glom Vogelberg, Russ D. Moore as Ildrix, Paul Maya as Finithir Shinebright, Christopher Guerrero as Gazakoltes and Ahmed Noak, Fargoif as Christopher Lurz, and Travis Vengroff as Dungeon Master. This episode had dialogue editing by Sarah Baczynski of Polarity Audio Works and Travis Vengroff. Produced with additional editing and sound design by Travis Vengroff. With mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. This episode featured music by Stephen Malin, Brandon Boone, and Travis Vengroff. To support this production and get access to bonus releases, music, world lore, art, and early access to future adventures and D&D materials, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash foolandscholar. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram as at DarkDicePod. This is a Fool and Scholar production. Thank you for listening. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? <laughs> Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.